Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. Just before I do my introductions, please be sure to go to patreon.com slash indoctrination to support the show, to be able to keep it on the air. Again, patreon.com slash indoctrination. Support it for any amount you can so that we can keep the show going. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Today, we have part two of my conversation with Mark Vicente. Mark Vicente is an author, speaker, and award-winning writer, director, producer, most well-known for directing the sleeper documentary hit, What the Bleep Do We Know? Being born in apartheid-era South Africa and witnessing a number of atrocities, Mark found himself propelled to question certain fundamental assumptions at a very young age. Beliefs about human behavior, morality, cosmology, existentialism, and mysticism. He spent a good part of the late 80s and 90s shooting anti-apartheid films before going to Hollywood. He has traveled two parallel paths in his life so far, one working his way up the ranks of the camera department in the film industry, eventually becoming a film director, and the other an unquenchable thirst for self-knowledge. This quest led him through many different religions and self-help organizations, and it all came crashing down in 2017 when Mark found out that the company he was working with and the mentor that led it was hiding illegal and deeply immoral activities. Before he could even begin to heal, he and a few other brave souls had to become whistleblowers to expose what they were discovering. The journey of taking down the Nexium organization and its key figures is captured in the nine-part HBO documentary series, The Vow, currently on the air. He has since developed a keen and passionate interest in exposing the coercive and duplicitous strategies of high-control groups. His memoir, Mentor, or How the Bleep Did That Happen, will be released shortly. It chronicles the many untold stories of what occurred in Nexium and he and his wife's harrowing campaign to escape and expose the organization. The cast of characters is far larger than people may imagine. Additionally, he is in production on a trilogy of films which expose abusive strategies. The first, Narc's Invisible Epidemic, is a documentary about malignant narcissism. I was very happy to be able to catch up with Mark. It had been a while since we had talked, and it's always nice to be able to talk to him again. Here's part two of our conversation. I understand people being worried about therapy, therapists, people getting into their head. When you're talking about techniques, I think there are some techniques that are probably good and others that are not. And also sometimes it depends how they're used and with whom and who's doing them and to what degree. And there's so many permutations. And I think also that I tend to not use techniques with certain populations because I don't want them to think that there's going to be a moment in time where if they didn't get better, it's because they didn't do the technique right. Mm, 
Right. And I think they've been there and then they have to work, do it more or do it. I don't know. It becomes its own attraction, yeah. and then they feel bad about themselves. And I just I set that up. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, you know, you know, because you and I, we haven't met in, in sort of therapy situations, but we've met to discuss, right. you know, all manner of things. And the thing that's that I love about, you know, listening to you talk and, and watching you talk to other people in non-therapy um, situations is that you're not trying to get them to get something. You know, you're not trying to get them to a certain place. Like, it's not like you have this idea of like, well, I'm going to make sure they get to this understanding. And that's so important because what's happened to all of us that have been, you know, really, our psyches have been brutalized by really bad techniques. Um, it's so important to, to then talk to people who are not trying to get you to a destination, but really just, you know, help you figure out a bunch of things that, you know, you, you may have come to eventually maybe or maybe not. It's a very, it's a very um, different approach, which I think is you know, super, super important. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I take that in and I really appreciate you, you saying that. I think it takes a certain level of hmm, entitlement, also in kind of hubris, mm. that for people to say, I know where you need to go, because how would I know? I can offer ideas and right. suggestions based on what I think has been helpful. Right them in the past or you know other times that people have been helped by considering this or considering that right but there are plenty of times I've been really kind of in the really lovely way surprised when someone took something in a different direction and it was where they really needed to go and what they kind of needed was someone to be there along that journey but it was their journey that's as it should be I think that it is a shame that a lot of people are too afraid. Uh, it's like people who leave a Bible-based cult and then they say if, if it matters to them to have a relationship with God, they feel like they've left all of that and they've left having a relationship with God and they've left all protection and they left it there as though that was their only source towards that. And so I, I understand leaving all of it for a period of time until you learn the signs of what's healthy and what's not. Uh, that you don't leave yourself open to being hurt again, because that's just, I mean, you've already devastated. And then, you know, then kicked while you're down, no one, no one that. Um, and so what, what do you look for now in people who you are wanting to learn from or being open to in terms of their ideas? I'm sure they're, you know, your antenna is going to be up. Yeah. I think for me, because what we went through was such an intellectual process. I'm not really interested in having a lot of intellectual discussions about things. Mm -hmm. I tend to now really be looking at, um, you know, studying works, reading, you know, you know podcasts, videos of, of people that really deeply understand that the, the, the nature of an existential crisis and, and what it feels like, mm -hmm. not describe what it feels like. And, because what's happened in the three-year process of, you know, going through this, you know, this whole war and, you know, working with law enforcement and everything, the one thing I, that I now value above pretty much anything else is goodness. And so for me, when I listen to people, I don't care if they're angry. I don't care if they're whatever. I don't care about that. I just, I, I look for goodness. Is this person, is their moral compass clear? 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not really interested in studying the work of people that are like, well, you know, it could be this, it could be that, it could be the other, you know. I don't know if this is true. I mean, I'm hearing people say this on social media about people that are trying to make, you know, pedophilia seem natural and normal. Mm. And I look at that and I go, like, I have a real problem with that. Right. I, I don't like this relativism business. And I don't like relativism because that's what Ranieri tried to do with me. One of our, I think our third last conversation was, I said to him, I'm very concerned about what I'm seeing. The education is doing the opposite of what it's designed to do. It's, it's people are falling apart. They have less sense of self. Isn't the idea that they should have more sense of self? And he said to me, I'm really surprised that you would ask me that. I'm like, why? He says, after all these years, you don't know that's what we're doing. And in my mind, I'm like, man, something's not right about this conversation. And then he said to me, can I share with you, I think, really one of the impediments that, that I think you're struggling with? You're very attached to your version of morality. And I said to him, well, morality is one of the most important things to me. You know where I come, you know I come from South Africa. You know I've seen bad shit. You know I was a news cameraman. You know uh, human rights and civil rights, that's a big deal for me. And he goes, yeah, yeah, well, that's why, that's why we get on so well. But, you know, there is a place beyond morality. And I'm like, you know, I like my morality. And that was, that was our, a real sticking point intellectually. Because what he was trying to point me towards was this kind of relativistic, all things are equal and all things are this and, you know, blah, 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 you know, word salad. Just word salad to really desensitize people to it is appropriate to be outraged when you see bad things yeah it is appropriate and that's the thing i was fighting for towards the end is he was trying to make it a a a a problem that people would get emotional about things Mm -hmm. you know so there's so so many you know tricky things so just to to, you know to go back so, so the thing for me is goodness you know i don't care how smart anybody is you know, wisdom's great. Intelligence is great. Goodness trumps everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really what I what I look for now in terms of the things that I'm you know reading and studying. And I, you know, I have been studying a lot because I decided um, a few months back to to make a few films about um, sort of a trilogy of of, of, of documentaries about uh, the one. The first one is about narcissism. The second one is about coercion, and the third one will be sort of Stockholm syndrome syndrome trauma bonding. I'm really been studying a lot to try and understand, um, you know, the best way to, to, to present these ideas because, you know, HBO's The Vow is, is an incredible journey. It's, it's the journey of people. I'm looking at, you know, making something that's the pattern, you know, so that, so that when you see the pattern, you can see examples of the pattern, but when you see the pattern enough, you go like, okay, now I know the pattern, you know? Um, so that's, that's what I'm obsessed with at the moment. You know, there's a bunch of, I mean, there's a bunch of different projects I'm doing. This is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we're working on the first one right now. We just, you know, started doing some, you know, some pre-interviews. I'm definitely hitting you up. <laughs> Good to know. And, you know, we're trying to build, to, 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 to figure out how do we, you know, present an understanding of, of, of narcissism without, you know, being boring. Yes, there's a spectrum, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about malignant narcissism, you know, and all the different things that occur and, and, and the effects of narcissistic abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's this, this passion I have now to try to help people, I guess, not, not avoid what I, what I and many have gone through, but I really believe that people were better equipped, which I actually feel is very much what you do with the show as well. 
is is I think you equip people with an understanding. Well, actually, A, I think you've done for me and others, you've given us a place to listen to things where we go, ah, that's what I went through. That's, so it's like people feel, I feel heard, you know, and then equipping people with how these things work so that you don't feel crazy. Right. Because you want the, for lack of a better term, you want the crazy person to remain the crazy person in the group, which is usually the leader. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. He's the one who gets, or she, that special designation. And everyone else just entered into crazy land, but it was their land. And when you leave crazy land, you want to leave the crazy there. But it has a certain kind of hangover. It's like you get infected with it for a little while until you can let it go because you realize it's actually not you. But it confuses you for a while. It confuses your brain for a while, just like a virus. And then you just need some inoculation. You need a good vaccine, you know, which is time and healing and getting back to who you are. That phrase of there's a realm beyond morality. What he's saying is that this is my place. I am a place beyond morality. And no, there isn't. I mean, there isn't a place, right? There is. There's a place beyond, let's say, the rule of law, right? And I'm thinking of South Africa, right? And the place beyond the rule of law is morality. That's the ending place. There isn't a place beyond that. If if you say there's a place beyond that, then what you're saying is, I want to be given permission to do whatever I want and not have to feel bad about it. I totally agree. And and this is one of my great concerns about uh, mysticism and certain spiritual teachings. My deep concern is that there are many sociopaths that are running large organizations that speak of some kind of ascension or enlightenment or something as though it is a place greater than the the good and bad of mortal human beings. That right there is the most frightening shit imaginable. And honestly, in my 20s, I, I thought, that was true but yet i still you know good and bad was so important to me but i thought well maybe there's a place you know there is this greater understanding i'm thinking why do you need the why do you need it why do you need some greater understanding i mean because they could be sociopaths trying to make other sociopaths which by the way i think is absolutely true the 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 intake sheet that was used in nixium was a narcissist test we were always told it was, you know, some evaluation from a third party. That was testing for narcissism. You know, why? Well, maybe because, I don't know, did he want to find the narcissist so he could see if he could break them? Because that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Breaking a narcissist. Oh, delicious. Or is it because, you know, he realized that, you know, if you give them what they want, they will, you know, you'll trap them and, you know, you'll have a, you know, have an army of, you know, malignant narcissists. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But... I do know that these people that run some of these organizations, they're, you know, they often talk about some breakthrough they had. And Ranieri talked about this often. He talked about this breakthrough he had when he was like 12 or 13 or whatever, you know. He told the story so many times. It's so boring, but basically he goes into a toy store and, you know, he can have any toy he wants and he spends hours going around and his mother says, don't you want a toy? And he goes, no, because I realize it won't make me happy because nothing in the external world will bring me joy and that was his great realization that was not his that was not if more likely 
Um, it was, you know, the discovery about the, you know, uh, letting go of the shackles of morality and the 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 um, evil freedom that comes from that. There is actually a, a module in in the in the intensive on day three, the end of day three, there's a module called fall. And um, the fall is about self-esteem. And it's about what happens when your self-esteem gets so low and it eventually hits zero self-esteem. And some people, and this is interesting because this is actually a weird, it's a weird kind of inoculation. Some people hit zero self-esteem and some make a discovery that there's negative self-esteem. And what negative self-esteem is, they told us, Ranieri told us, was that a person realizes that if they just abandon all morality, there is a kind of freedom because the possibilities are, are endless. Yeah. Now, it was taught as though this is what we're up against in the world. Mm-hmm. This is what we're fighting. We're fighting these people that can do any, they lie, they cheat, they do anything. That's why we have to be so ethical. So that was the great joke. Because what if the fall was actually his autobiography, which I've said to people it is. When I was first coming out and I was trying to, you know, rescue people, mm-hmm. I would say like, how is it he knows so much about that? What if that's what happened to him? And they're like, <gasps> and some people said, no, you're, you're suppressive. I don't believe you, you know, and just went back in. And some people said like, holy shit, I got to walk around with that, you know? And many of us decided, okay, that's, 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 that's what happened. And, you know, he was teaching about how this place, you know, was so dangerous because, you know, that's when the person becomes, you know, a complete sociopath, psychopath, whatever, and they can do anything they want. And there's a kind of exhilaration at other people's pain and they feed off other people's pain. Now, what's so messed up is like, we're all like, oh my God, what if that's us? And everybody had a complete crisis. Everybody, every empath in the room had a complete meltdown because they were worried. What if that's me? You know, and it was, it was horrible because like they would say, well, that's why you have to really build your self-esteem with our techniques so that you don't become like this, you know? And then there was also like, if you were really having a big meltdown, they would say, you know how I know you're not like this? Because you're worried about it. If you were a psychopath, you wouldn't be worried. <gasps> Thank God. Oh my God. Okay. But I still have to be careful. Well, yes, you always have, we always have to be vigilant, you know? That's why, you know, pride is such a problem, you know? I mean, you, you, you can hear me. I'm just doing word salad, but this is the word salad that was used. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, and, and also the word salad. Yeah, I mean, I love that. It's like this just wall of crap. It, you know, someone, um, and I want to come back to what you were just saying. Someone sent me this riddle on Facebook and I, I, I like riddles. I used to not be good at them, but after doing this work, I'm good at them because I can knock out so much extraneous BS that doesn't matter because of the word salad. And I could just sort of usually link sort of the first point to the last point and everything else is just random stuff to fill your head or numbers or names or whatever. And so you, you want to be able to see so much of it is just filler. Yeah. And also so much of it is justification and also so much of it as just a redirection. Yes. So it's, if I'm going to be your guide about this, then I can't be somebody who would do something like that. If I'm helping you with that, then I obviously, I hold myself up to a certain standard. 
And so you don't think that the person teaching you about this is the one who's the most guilty of it in the room. Okay, so the reason I think that's so amazing is because you've touched on something that I became obsessed with telling people. And that was that Ranieri inoculated all of us. And by that, I mean, I studied uh, Robert J. Lifton's you know, thought reform and the psychology of totalism. He had us studying um, the Stanford Prison Experiment. You know, he had entire modules about psychopaths. Um, that test, I don't remember the name of it, where you zap a person, you know, you're not really zapping the person, but you zap the person, you can actually zap them to death, you know, because you're just told to. And it, and it shows you how if somebody tells you an authority what to do, you'll just end up killing a person. And then there was a, a movie um, called Devella, Devella, The Wave, which is about a, a, an experiment that a teacher did, right? Yeah. And so we were studying exactly. all these things. And so what happens is you know that this is not what you're doing because he's showing you this is what you don't want to do. And we're not a cult, but let's read some of the people that do study cults because some of what they have to say is good. The problem is they're applying some of those ideas to us because they don't understand what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So you literally create a, 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 a system that's so sealed where you go, there's no way this guy is going to be talking about abuses of power and slavery and do slavery. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what he was doing. Building an organization of slaves to do anything he wanted and abusing them beyond abusing their psyches and their bodies beyond measure. But because we were all being taught these things, we we're like, well, the, the, this isn't what that is. So it's, yeah. it's like it literally, it's like in that system, you literally can't go to those works to make sense of what you're in. And, it, and, it, and in my case, mm-hmm. where I was so lucky is that, you know, Bonnie had begun creating a list because she had this, in, in the end of 2016, she had this like whole, realization that was quite beautiful and i hope she talks about it one day um and she began making a resource list of things to study to look at you know and in in april 2017 she said just look at this article and the article was about high control groups the word cult didn't show up until later in that page so i just read about high control groups and everything that was being described was eerily exactly what I had been complaining about in the organization, thinking it was the people creating this problem and not him. And then she handed me an article um, about spiritual narcissism. And those two were like, oh my God. And then she gave me another article and then she had me watch the movie um, uh, Holy Hell. And I, it blew my mind. So, I mean, I went and met, you know, Will Allen, the filmmaker, and we became great friends. And like, holy hell, just blew me away. Because I'm like, oh, my God, that looks like, oh, no, wait, that's the shit we did. You know, that's like, you know, these whole performances just for the leader. So I was, you know, she beautifully led, led me through this process. It was amazing. And then what happened is, you know, in, in once I understood, once I had my break in May 2017, we began, we were refining this list and we were putting people, you know, it was a list of books, movies, TV shows, and articles, and then therapists, you know, and you were one of the people that were, were on the, on that list. And we would send it to people and say, please start here, go in order. Once you get here, multiple choice, whatever you want. 
at the very bottom, once you want to talk to people, here are the people you can talk to. Call them, you know. And as I'm sure you've had the experience before, you, you know, you get called, I'm sure, from people that are like terrified. Yes. But they think, I think I've been in a cult or I think I've been in a bad situation or I just want to think I need help. And they're so, conf- I'm, I'm making this up because I imagine what it's like to be you guys. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, my first call with, with, a, uh, with a counselor was like, I mean, it was, uh, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I was so scared because um, I was about to divulge all these concerns that were, I was still in the trap of saying these things is being dishonorable. And what would it mean about me that I'm having these doubts? What would it mean about my goodness? Mm-hmm. Because what, what Ranieri and honestly, all of these people really do is, you know, you talk about having somebody by the balls. That's not what Ranieri did. Ranieri had you by your values. You know, he had you by your goodness, you know? Right. Um, that's the thing that was so, that's so devastating is that, and that's what everybody, certainly that's, that's left, um, next team has to deal with. And I'm sure, you know, other people have the same, the same thing, but the cage of speaking with honor and being noble and, you know, being moral and ethical was so strong that if you, if you stepped one foot out of, that cage you got literally terrified and he knew that mm-hmm. he wrote articles about how dogs are trained you know with an invisible fence where they get buzzed oh, yeah. and what yeah. happens is they're then terrified to go beyond the fence right yeah okay he knew he knew exactly what he was he built a fence and he knew that's what he built mm-hmm. and that was the joy of it that was the excitement right that was oh and it's so sick and that you would buzz yourselves, uh, that you would then judge yourself. You're not showing your goodness or you're being dishonorable. You're not keeping up with your vow. You're what, all of right. it. Right. You had right. all of these phrases in your head to um, do like self-recrimination, self-flagellation, stopping yourself from moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting because cult leaders, uh, sometimes they're very busy doing a lot of work. But sometimes usually what they've done is they've just set the system in motion and then they can just sit back and watch it happen and watch the people do all the work. Yeah, then the people who have left know that they've been played, but it doesn't mean that there was something wrong with you. It just means you were a human being and you you were interested in making your life better or making the world better. It was usually the intention was so good. It's just that you don't know that you're being led by someone who doesn't have a good intention. And then that's where you're going to be at odds. Right. And that's, and that's the thing that I, when I listen to your, um, your podcast, not, 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 you've mentioned it in indoctrination, but in, in Carolyn uh, Leaf's podcast, you mentioned this thing. I really struck me because I've said this at the, at the beginning, but I, I do get tired of this whole thing of how did you fall for it? It's really time to stop asking the people that were victimized by sociopaths how they didn't know how to see a sociopath because they didn't know how to see a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's time to start looking at, let's talk about the sociopath. I mean, it's so interesting. When I came out, I reconnected with people that had left years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan Dones was, was, was a high ranking member that left years before and they tried their best to destroy her. I mean, they literally came after her with a lawsuit that had like 160 charges. 
Oof. It was more. It was insane. You know, and I and I called her, and you know, of course, the first words out of my mouth were, "I'm so so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just, I didn't know." Blah, blah, blah. And she was incredible. She was like, "Mark, all that matters is now. You know, now you're on this. It's all that matters is you're here now." And she said to me during our first conversation, "You didn't stand a chance." I'm like, what? She said, "I was in the meetings where they plotted how to get you." Wow. They had multiple meetings to figure out how to get you. We listened to radio interviews, TV interviews, print interviews. We learned every single thing about you. And I, and I, was, I was there when they were plotting how they were going to do it. You didn't stand a chance. Now, that's what we should be talking about. Not, Mark Vicente is such an intelligent man. How is he this stupid? Yeah, because you know what? You know why? Because I'm not a psychopath. And a sociopath, and I don't know up until now, I didn't understand how they worked. Okay, so I'm guilty. Sorry. <laughs> right, that's a good model tough. I'm glad you're not. Yeah. But, but then you're not gonna know that you're that you're targeted, that you're a sitting duck, that you are um that you have been ensnared, that you're in a web. You think this this is something that's freeing you. Right. And look, you know, if uh, if you know if you if you just don't if you just don't lie all the time and you meet people who lie all the time it's you just don't assume that they're lying no you don't and i think i'm so glad you got to hear from her about these meetings it makes it makes sense uh and and yes i do agree for anyone listening the whole question of how could you have fallen for this it's like why did you stay in an abusive relationship or well you know you probably knew this was going to happen to you if you're sexually assaulted. What were you wearing and why were you, you know, out by yourself? And all of these, you know, questions about the victim, about the targeted one, because um, I don't know how I feel about the word victim, but I think the targeted one. Uh, I feel fine. So, okay. <laughs> I feel fine. Okay. Right. Because you were victimized and it's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. But I'm yeah. glad to know. It, yes, it shows that there was a concerted effort and a uh, very um, well-developed, unfortunately, effort to uh, rope you in and to keep you in. And I think all the more reason that I think Ranieri wasn't quite sure what to do when you were suddenly disentangling yourself from the web. Yeah. Actually, just to go back to what you're saying, it's it's true that he got very concerned, but it was what was it was so interesting what happened and and. This is touched on a little bit in, in episode two of The Vow. When Bonnie left in 2017, January, there was an all-out assault to um, not only separate us, but to paint her as the villain, which had actually begun earlier. I just didn't realize it because they did not want to lose me and they knew how much I loved her and they had to try and destroy that marriage. and. The thing, I mean, look, I am, Bonnie saved my life. I am forever grateful. And it was so beautiful because I was having a conversation with, um, with Nippy Anthony Ames, who's in the bow with us as well. And he said to me something very beautiful. He said, you know, Bonnie's, what Bonnie decided to do, which is that she was going to leave and risk everything, including her love, not her love, but her, including the marriage, he said to me, it was honestly the greatest act of love he's ever seen. 
And he said that act of love sent a ripple through the entire system and it terrified the hell out of them. Mm. You know, and that um, her, her standing strong against them and doing everything she could to try to um, explain to me what was really going on and literally, you know, go and talk to other women and say, please, would you talk to Mark? Please, would you tell him what happened? And what happened is as women started telling me, I was clear there's, they have no reason to lie to me. They have no reason. This is true. And then I began this investigation. I, I called a woman that had left years before, and the story was all the same. He'd done it to everybody. And none of them had talked to each other. And so the job became, you know, decompartmentalizing everything because that's what they're terrified of. And then when, I, when they were clear that I was, you know, doing something, uh, then the campaign against Bonnie, and myself, Sarah, and Nippy was it was massive. The campaign was so successful that to this day there are people that only now, as they've seen on the inside, or the ones that have left but disappeared, that now when they see the vow and they see, oh no, that this is what happened, they're shocked. They're like, oh my God, they lied to us about you guys. You know, that's how successful the campaign was. And, and when he began losing control, he did what, what all of these malignant narcissists do, which is basically destroy anybody that could possibly show the truth. Right. But it's, it's successful because, the, you know, there's people I really love that just refuse to talk to me, not because they don't think that he should be in prison, but because they're still struggling with the stories about us that they were told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's weird because... I really love, there's a lot of them I really, really love. And I know, I know they think I'm like, I don't know, suppressive Satan. It's weird. It's weird. It's so strange. Yeah, it is strange. And hopefully over time, they'll be able to know you and sort of relearn who you are. There is, I mean, I was raised with the Jewish tradition, not that I'm so religious, but there's something that I've mentioned before in the podcast that I will never forget, which is that there is this idea that trying to destroy someone's reputation is worse than killing them. And because it's something they have to live with and that it's too easy to do and to sway people until they know you, until they relearn you, until they get to see in real time, in practice, that you are not those things. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to be up against that. And, And I do think with all this work and just you living the life that you're living, that people will understand that that was fabricated, but also I think mm, all, simultaneously it's important for people to understand why they were told those things about you, how that served the group and how that served the leader. And then it helps to disentangle it and kind of deconstruct it a lot more. Right. It's interesting though, you know, I have, I have a question for you, but I just want one other thought I wanted to tell you. Um, one of my great pains is, is this topic because I struggle so much. I know, I know the campaign of disinformation was, was very powerful, but I struggle so much because some of these people were my dearest friends for 12 years. I can't, I struggle with how do you not know me after seeing me for 12 years? How do you not know? And then I have to go, and I can't resolve it emotionally, but intellectually I go, but his hold on your mind is more powerful. His hold on your your soul is more powerful. And I understand it. So I understand it intellectually, but but emotionally. It is a source of enormous grief that 
I have not been able to resolve, even though I understand, you know, I studied a bunch recently. When I say study, I mean, I read, you know, I'm not like, don't have degrees in these things, but I was reading about betrayal blindness. Um, I've forgotten the author, but she's incredible. And, and just the whole thing about how it's easier to, you can't allow yourself to feel the betrayal, the actual betrayal. So you feel betrayed by the whistleblower. Mm. Because that at least you can handle. But to actually deal with the real betrayal, your whole life will fall apart. Your psyche will, will collapse. Yeah. If not, you know, uh, permanently, it's definitely temporarily, and it's too scary. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. And it was, it was some solace to me. But it's very, very painful because of what I've been through with some of these people. Um, so that was one thing. And then I, and I, and then I, I, I have a question for you, actually, because it's something that, that really uh, gnaws on me. Um, which is you have been able to look at darkness in, in your, in, you know, in your life and in your, in your profession. Mm-hmm. And like, man, it really gets to me sometimes, you know, it really, really, I feel like I need a shower sometimes. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. I need to wash my soul. How do you, I mean, how do you, <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with it? Cause it's dark. Yeah, it is dark. There, yeah, there are times that I um, shudder, you know, that it, it just goes right through you. Uh, it's like watching a horror movie. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and yes, other times that I feel like I do also want to take a shower. When I was dealing years ago with these, these Scientology PIs who were following me around, and they were these discredited LAPD officers, they um, Eugene Ingram and others who uh, I'd never met people like that. And I'd never seen people like that, especially leaning on my car or, you know, in my driveway. And, and I, and I thought first scared me. And then I thought like, what rock did they crawl out from under? <laughs> like, who are these people? And, and then also moving from the thuggish to the mastermind. And it's the mastermind uh, without the conscience that makes you shudder. And I think what you do is you say, it's really good then to be opening people's awareness to the fact that this exists, not so that they can be scared of it, but so they can notice it and they can prevent themselves from getting entangled. And they can also prevent themselves from being injured by someone who doesn't care how much they get injured and enjoys the pain. And so as much prevention as you can do and education, I think you're, you're combating them because what they feed off is power over people. So mm-hmm. if people know their score and they know what to watch out for, then they won't have the power. Right, and right. so you're taking the wind out of their sails even before they've tried. And that makes right. me feel um, a little bit better uh, because mm-hmm. I think that you know we're then stopping some of those people's attempts um and they're not going to be as successful i think i think also being able to you know help people also feel better that they don't fully understand it which is what i was doing with you and which i think is is true that if you Mm -hmm. don't quite get it it's because you just aren't are not wired that way and that's a really good thing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but yeah i think for you when you when you dive into the muck you are in it. But I think part of what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not going to just sit with knowing that this happens and 
yeah, it kind of sucks. You're yeah. saying, okay, this happens. Let's figure out the patterns, like you're saying, so that we can do that kind of education, prevention, and and ha- giving people the power to protect themselves. I think I don't know if there's something else that you can do. You know that actually is powerful. No, it's so true. It's so true. I agree with you. And the thing I think there was somebody that I was trying to get out in 2018, and um, I lost the battle, but. I sort of, I asked them in this whole situation, what's the, what's the worst thing that you could learn that would terrify you? And they said to me that monsters are real. And I said, okay, that's my punchline. That's where I'm going. And they couldn't, they couldn't take it. And look, I'm not training these things. And I was desperate because I, I, I knew that Ramiri was about to get arrested and I could see it coming, you know, um, it, the old signs were there. I was trying so hard. But I think the thing for me, and I think that's why this is hard to really see, is because there comes a point as you look at the patterns of everything that you go, yeah, monsters are real. Like all those scary fairy tales, what if they're metaphors Mm -hmm. for stuff that actually happens and exists? You know, I don't mean the flying monsters and stuff, but like they're metaphors for like, you know, these, 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 these beings that eat children, you know, the, the metaphor of that, it's, it's, it's terrifying. And so that's what I think is so hard. Um, and, and I think it's hard for some of the people that are, that are still struggling with, with this inside many, many groups that know something's wrong, but they have to come to that um, recognition. And it's funny, I did think to myself, one thing that made me feel better about this horrible re- realization is that I said to myself, okay, then I fight monsters. Right, right. That's what I do. I fight monsters in my way. And my way is not, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. You know, I don't have degrees in this stuff, but uh, I have a voice mm-hmm. and I'm going to, and certainly in the vow, you know, I, I use my voice to talk about a lot of things that, that are very difficult. And I hope, um, I, I believe it will make a difference because the, the messages I'm getting from people are, a lot of people are saying, oh my God, I can relate. I can relate. I can relate. I can relate. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you do. You're a you're a monster slayer, and that is that's a really good thing, uh, right? I think you know, that's why movies like Silence of the Lambs were, were so chilling for people, uh, because here was this person who had this soft voice, uh, who um, was a sociopath, you know, and just didn't care, and was very very bright and calculating, and everything was calculated to get under your skin which you see, right? And you see with Ranieri and you see with a lot of other people. I think yeah. to go back to this, this story that you told about when he said that he had this revelation at age 12 in this toy store, which mm-hmm. I actually think didn't happen, but I, whatever, because who had that thought, with you. right? I agree with you. Uh, but it's a nice story. But I do think it's so revealing because I think of these people as having this, well-developed mind, this mastermind, but psychologically being 12-year-olds. Yes. And so I think he is this kid in a toy store who has this insatiable need, an unfillable kind of ego need, so no amount of toys is ever going to feel like enough. And I think he was revealing that, you know? It's true. And also the thing I recognize is eventually as I realized, oh, you're like a 13-year-old boy who's like obsessed with sex 
you got stuck at 13, which is why you have all these women on diets that will make them look prepubescent so that they match whatever place you got stuck in as a child. You know, so you represent yourself as this, this noble pinnacle of humanity and you're like the equivalent of like a 13-year-old who's like horny and wants control and power. Mm, right. You know, it's really that simple. And that, that's, the thing, that's the thing that helped me and I think has helped others. It's really simple. They're, these people are really simple. You know, the problem is we've, we've spent years thinking, oh my God, they're geniuses. Okay, look, are they, are, they, are they smart in terms of like the way a chess player is very good at chess and can outdo you because you can't even see some of the moves they're doing? Yeah, okay, fine. Other than that, they're children. They're little children. Yeah. And I think it's good to still hold on to this idea of the monster because you do want to be aware. Yes, yes. Uh, but yes. To, so that you're not afraid of them, right. it probably does help to see them as I sometimes picture them sort of wearing shorts, having a tantrum in a toy store. Yes. And and so that's really where they are emotionally, but they've built this whole world around them to make yeah. themselves seem like they are on high. Yeah. I'm just wondering now that you're out I mean, I know one of the things that's really hard is just sort of reclaiming your time. A lot of people um, in, I think people don't realize that within cultic groups, you don't rest right. and it's constant. And right. you, you, I think you just have to learn to be and sit and, you know, and just have your time. I think making a departure from where you live to a place that might be a slower pace also is purposeful. And so how has how has your life changed in those ways since you've left? And was it hard for you to kind of settle into just being settled? It's funny because it's, it's gone in stages. Like the first few years, we were watching our backs all the time. You know, we, we had PIs after us. There was a whole bunch of things. We, um, we were in like a safe address pro program with the government, so we couldn't be found. You know, there was, it's insane. It's like, you know, we, we, we never posted on social media. We never posted where we actually were. We only posted maybe three days before. So nobody could ever know exactly where we were. So there was all this. And then, you know, uh, working with the Department of Justice, which was, which was truly exhausting and preparing for the trial was truly exhausting. And then, and also, you know, at the same time also, so, you know, doing the, you know, uh, being part of the vow was, necessary but tiring very very tiring but necessary you know it was one of those things i that we all felt this has to be seen people have to see how this works and then you know from the beginning of the year sort of starting to step away and just getting back into my creative life you know writing you know written you know a whole bunch of screenplays and developing a whole bunch of projects and um you know i i go to the ocean every single day i'm like a, you know I'm a block away from the ocean. So nice. Um, I go for a walk every morning by the ocean. I sit at the ocean every night at sunset. Uh, um, it's a very, very different life. And what is important, I think, now is taking time where I can just listen. I can hear myself. Mm. You know, I can hear what I what I feel. I can hear what I think. You know, Bonnie and I have time to be together. You know, it's 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 not like we walked away from from everything because honestly, there's as the vow is coming out, a lot of people are reaching out to us, people that some people have left that that are trying to put together what happened. Um, 
which I don't have a lot of bandwidth for. So what I do is I tend to say, I just really think that it would be good to talk to a counselor or a therapist mm -hmm. who understands how these things work because there's a lot to unpack. I can't anymore unpack, try to unpack it for people the way that you know we did in 2017, 2018. But what I have found is that there is this, this me that is there, that's always been there, that got covered up, that is beginning to, to emerge again. And it's not like I know, there's a lot of things I don't know. Things, things have been messed with inside of me a lot. But often when I'm writing, you know, and, you know, developing these films and, and, and TV series that I'm developing and, you know, working on, my creativity is where I, I feel myself more. Mm -hmm, yeah. That and my marriage with Bonnie is where I feel myself more. Um, it is it is quiet and 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 creativity, and just living a much simpler life that is making a huge difference. Um, and I, you know, honestly recommend it to anybody. I've you know I've heard that a lot of people when they leave these kinds of things they change their life dramatically. There's there's people that have left Nixon that live in the middle of nowhere. They go to some you know mm -hmm. small town near their parents maybe, and they just live a simple life until they can figure out what's you know what's next. I'm 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 still very clear that I'm still always going to make movies about stuff, movies, series, TV, whatever, mm -hmm. um, because I still have things to say. Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what some of that is, but I'm, I tell you, the quiet life. Oh man, it is really something. <laughs> it is really, really amazing. You know, mm -hmm. really beautiful. Yeah. Really good. Well, I, I know we'll be in touch, and I thank you for this time. Um, and I, um, I'm really glad we had a chance to talk years ago, and also now and in between. Um, because you get to see the sort of the gradual changes and the aha moments and uh, the feeling like you're in your body uh, that changes after a while. Because sometimes when I meet with people, even just casually, but people who have just left something, they're kind of, you can sense they're in this in-between state. Um, and so I, I like when I see like I see their eyes and, and it looks much clearer. Um, and so I, I wish you well. I know this is a time with a lot of people reaching out to you and people are reaching out to me from having watched the vow either because they had experiences with Nexium or other groups like it. Oh, and so amazing. as you're talking about exponential effects in a negative way, this is, has an exponential effect in a, the most positive way. And so it's amazing. been, it, it was worth all the work, as you know, for a lot of reasons for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And so I send my regards to Bonnie and hope to be able I'll to talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll connect soon. One more thing before you go. One of the things that controllers and manipulators have going for them, unfortunately, is that people don't want to have their own parties crash. Meaning, if you got involved in the group and you want it to be the answer, you don't want anyone to tell you otherwise. If you've sacrificed so much already for something, for an organization, for a belief system, 
even for a relationship. You don't want somebody to say, hey, actually, I have some information that is going to get in the way of you being so enthusiastic about this and might make you think that you wasted all of your time. The thing that happens is that we want to resist people taking away our joy, people taking away our dreams, people taking away what's been promised to us. And we'll consider those people to be people who are enemies, people who might be doing this maybe on purpose to ruin our chances, to ruin our lives, to crush our spirit. We might defame them, call them, oh, jealous, that's why they're doing this, or they're killjoys. That's why there's the expression, don't kill the messenger. People are sometimes prone to attack the person who's telling us what we don't want to hear. Sometimes it's because it's such a crushing blow and such a shock to our system. And other times it's because we already thought about it ourselves. We already had that moment of doubt or a couple moments or many moments of doubt that we had pushed away or we were encouraged to ignore. But when somebody else, somebody else who we might respect or otherwise listen to, points out what we were thinking, then we have our doubts confirmed. And sometimes that can make the messenger hated if we're not ready to hear the message. And if the message is a very unwelcome confirmation. So that's why groups like QAnon, actually, and others, teach people to hate the truth tellers, the researchers. That's why people who are trying to control you will tell you not to access negative information or really any information about them or to talk to people who have left the group. They want you to have what Mark talked about. They want you to have betrayal blindness. When the blinders come off and you see the ultimate betrayal was actually from the leader, there's most certainly a tragic loss, a profound hurt, even a rage. And I think sometimes people subconsciously know when they're starting to wonder about the leader that at some point they're going to have a moment like that where they see it all clearly and they try to stave off that moment and stay in the mythology, in the dream, in the bubble for as long as possible. Because as soon as that bubble is pierced, sometimes people worry about the amount of feeling they're going to have and if it's going to overtake them. There's also the expression, better the devil you know than the devil you don't, which also applies here. What's happening to you now is not necessarily feeling good, and you can tell it's starting to unravel or destroying you to a certain degree. But you've been made so worried about the world outside this group, or you really do on some level believe this message you've been given, that what you're looking for only exists within this group, and that you have to tolerate this mistreatment in order to get the wishes that you had wanted to have granted 
and the goals you wanted to have met or the relationship with this person. Because without it, somehow you have no other viable choices. At least that's what you've come to sense because you've been manipulated to sense that or to know that. So no matter how much you're suffering now, there's still that glimmer of hope and there's sometimes very willful betrayal blindness. So that's why it's important to have a cushion, a safety net, to be able to know that you have people you can lean on when the facade starts to break away and you see things for how they really are. There's been a lot of press about Nexium, and it actually has been very, very helpful for the public to know about this group and for people who have left it to know that they don't have to necessarily explain this group from scratch because people have read articles and they've seen some shows and they've watched episodes of The Vow. But unfortunately, also, the moniker given to this group by the press is Nexium, the sex cult. And I encourage people listening today to not refer to it like that. Because people who got involved, by and large, got involved in order to better themselves or to improve their business regimen or acumen. And for other reasons, having nothing to do with sex. So imagine for a moment, you've been in this kind of suspended animation of betrayal blindness, and suddenly you get this sickening feeling that this was something that pulled you along a path that was wrong, that pulled you away from the promises it offered you and all it was supposed to be and pulled you away from the world outside and pulled you away from yourself, having a sense of self and clarity in your own mind. And then when those emotions come crashing down, you reach out for help and lean on someone, finally opening up, and they say, oh, yeah, I heard about that group. That's that sex cult. So typically the person finally opening up and reaching out for support will feel shame, will feel they have to explain themselves, and they have to explain why it wasn't that for them or that's not how they want to be perceived. So try not to make a comment if someone opens up to you about their experiences really in any group other than, I'm so glad you decided to talk to me about this. And I'm so sorry you were put through that experience. How can I help? Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening. Tired of ads? Well, listen or download this show for free on NPR's Radio Public app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please support Indoctrination at patreon.com slash indoctrination. We have over 100 interviews that you can access with any donation. Subscribers receive bonus interviews and other cool goodies. And we love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.